the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Miracles happened in the ancient Holy Land. Can you expect them today with your modern problems? Pastor Dale O'Shields brings the Bible to life in this exciting new series shot on location in the Holy Land. See where Jesus walked. Learn how to live in His power to overcome your challenges. Begins July 8th and 9th at Church of the Redeemer. For more information, check the website at church-redeemer.org. That's church-redeemer.org. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. I want to take you to a story in the Old Testament, sort of lays the foundation uh, for today's message and for our next uh, couple of weekends together as well on this particular topic. It's a story of a man in Scripture by the name of Elijah. And Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. He served during a time of a king in Israel by the name of Ahab and his wife Jezebel. He served, Elijah did, in a time when it was, was a lot of evil in the land. Ahab and Jezebel worshipped other gods other than the Lord. They worshipped the gods of Baal and all kind of other gods. And so during this time, Ahab and Jezebel were trying to kill all of the Lord's prophets, including Elijah. And Elijah had to hide from them just to be safe and to keep himself alive during this time. All of this culminates when you go to 1 Kings chapter 18 and realize that Elijah has this moment when he calls all these 450 prophets of Baal together on Mount Carmel. They have this showdown and God shows up in a big way in the showdown. And then there's this moment when God brings fire down from heaven and the 450 prophets of Baal are destroyed. And it's a great moment, but it's a spiritually draining moment. I mean, he's wiped out after this. After all, he's been running for his life for years, hiding, fearing for his life. And now he has this great showdown. He's just completely wiped out. I want to pick up the story now in 1 Kings chapter 19. I want you to see a very tired man. Beginning in verse number 1, I'm going to read down through verse 18. It's a lot of verses, but that's why we come to church, right? To study and read the Bible. So let me read for you this story. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel, very evil lady, by the way, sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So here's a death threat. Elijah has all this stuff going on. He has this intense moment on Mount Carmel, and now he's facing a death threat. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. So Elijah, as worn out as he was, goes out into the wilderness, sits down under a tree and basically prays this prayer, God, I want to go home to heaven. I'm tired of living this life. I'm absolutely worn out. God, would you just come and take me right now? 
The Bible says in verse 5, Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. That's truly angel food, isn't it? If you can travel for 40 days on one meal, it's amazing. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. So I want you to see that not only is Elijah physically worn out, but he's fatigued in his thinking. His perspective is being affected by his fatigue. He is weary to the bone. It's affecting his mindset. He thinks he's the only one left serving God. Verse 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. One translation says the sound of a still, small voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you in this condition, Elijah? Why are you here? He replied again. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came, and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Haziel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. And then God said to him, Yet I will preserve, or I have preserved, one translation says, 7,000 others in Israel who had never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. What I want you to see in this moment is a very good man. He's a prophet of the Lord. But even as a good man, a great prophet of God, he found a moment of terrible weariness in his life. He needed his energy reset. The word energy is a very important word because it's a word that means the ability to be active. It's the physical, mental, or spiritual strength that allows you to do things. I want to talk to you today about two things that are vital when it comes to resetting energy. How do you deal with life when you become fatigued? How do you deal with life when you are absolutely worn out? What do we learn from Elijah? What do we learn from other passages? Two things I'll share with you today. Number one, the Bible teaches us that you and I need to put rest in its proper place. To put rest in its proper place. Rest is important to God. When God created the world, He did so with rhythm in mind, with the rhythm of rest. Going back to the first book of the Bible and the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, we see this rhythm that God set in creation. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light 
day and the darkness night, and evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. When God established this 24-hour period that we refer to as our day, God established it in two divisions or two parts. The two-part, one being day and the other being night. Day being for activity, night being for rest. So God, to emphasize the value of rest, when he established night, he said, I'm going to turn the lights out. Because the night became dark, and so in the day there was light, and in the night there was darkness, so that we could understand that there should be, in every 24-hour cycle, a rest mode. That is, there's a part of the rhythm of life that includes not just activity, but also includes rest. God wired us for this kind of rhythm. But then God also said there's a time for rest in every seven days of activity, in your week, daily and weekly. And he gave us this example of a weekly flow in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So what did he do? He, he rested from all his work. Let me stop there for a moment. Did God rest from his work because he was tired? No. God is the omnipotent God, so God never gets tired. God didn't rest because he was tired. God rested because he wanted to give us an example of a principle. God said, don't just do what I say, do what I do. And so on the seventh day, God rested. So six days he labored, the seventh day he rested. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. So God's plan for your life and my life includes an active day with rest, an active week, six days you shall labor with a day of rest, a day of worship, as we'll see in a moment. Because when God gave the first Ten Commandments, the first commandments that we are to live by, He included this very thing in the top ten items that He wanted us to understand. In Exodus chapter 20, we see the record of the Ten Commandments. Notice verses 8 through 11. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That's the seventh day. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to football. Your Bible doesn't say that? No. Dedicated to the... Lord, your God, on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So God says, every day you need rest. Rest is vital to me. Every week, you need a time when you are recuperating, you're restoring, you're getting back into the presence of God, you're getting back into an atmosphere of worship, you're getting reset, and the way that you think about life, the way you think about pride, and the Sabbath or the day of worship is for that purpose. Now, it goes beyond just a day, as we'll see in a moment. It has to do also with an attitude of your life, but God says, make sure that you get the proper rest, because when you're unrested, a lot of bad things can start happening in your life. Your health deteriorates, your judgment deteriorates, your choices deteriorate. All kinds of things happen when you live an unrested life. The second thing I want to talk to you about today really builds on the principle of rest, but it includes a broader dimension of what creates rest in your life, and that's to grow your trust. The way that you create rest is by growing your trust. 
See, that's what really the Sabbath is all about. You work six days on the seventh, what do you do? You rest. Why? Because you're trusting God to take care of, you did all you can do, and now on the seventh day you're trusting God to take care of what you can't take care of. And so it's a principle of trust. That's really what the Sabbath is all about. See, rest is not just about your body. You can get eight, ten hours of sleep every night. You can take two or three naps every day. You can go on amazing vacations. You can take all the days off that you could imagine and still be tired. But what I want you to see today is that you and I need to have rest on the inside, and rest on the inside comes from trusting in God. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 11. Verses 28 through 30, come to me. This is an invitation to every person here today. This is for you. Put your name right there. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And here's the promise. I will give you what? Rest. He didn't say I'd give you a vacation. He said I would give you rest. Nothing wrong with a vacation, nothing wrong with a nap, nothing wrong with sleep. But he said, I will give you rest. He's talking about something deeper here. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, there's the word again, rest for your souls. Again, the best rest you can have is first and foremost not in your body. The best rest you can have is in your soul, because if you're rested in your soul, you'll be more rested in your body. He says, come to me. I promise you, I'll give you rest, rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's referring to refreshment on the inside. And so Sabbath rest is first and foremost on the inside. And the real issue of the Sabbath, the real issue of rest is learning how to trust. It is ceasing our work and replacing our work with worship. That's really what it is. The prophet Isaiah was moved on by the Holy Spirit and gave us some very wonderful words of instruction in Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 28. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows tired, weak or weary, tired or weary, one translation says. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives energy, same concept, energy, power. God is a God of power. God is a God of energy. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're filled with power. He gives power to the weak and strength or energy to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. Read verse 31 together with me, all of our campuses. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Now I want you to see that there's some promises here. The promise is that we can find new strength and new energy. We can soar high on wings like eagles. We can run and not grow weary. We can walk and not faint. But all of those promises are connected to a condition, and the condition is found in the first part of verse 31, but those who trust in the Lord. So it's trust that gives you new strength. It's trust that enables, enables you to soar with wings like eagles. It is trust that allows you to run and not grow weary. It is trust that allows you to walk and not faint. So the real issue here is trust. Trust is the pathway to rest and renewal. You'll never have rest until you learn to trust in God. And the primary enemy of trust is worry. How do we conquer worry? How do we grow our trust? 
I'm going to share with you five things today that will help you to grow your trust in God. Now, the things I'm going to share with you are not things that I have mastered yet. I'm still in the process of learning this stuff because dealing with worry is a lifelong deal. You never get over this, okay? So I'm not here today to try to tell you this is how you do it. I'm the expert. I'm here to tell you. I'm working with you guys on this. I'm trying to learn this in the same way that you are. But I know something for sure. These five things I'm going to share with you today are the way to go when it comes to dealing with worry in our life and learning how to trust in God. So let me give you the acronym TRUST. And we'll start with the T. And the T stands for talk to God about every concern you have in your life. Talk to God about every concern in your life. Now, this is important to understand because this is what prayer is, okay? A lot of people get really confused about prayer. They think, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what that prayer thing is all about. But prayer is really simple. Prayer is just going and talking to God about the things that are concerning you. There's never a time that you cannot go to God and simply talk to Him about everything that concerns you. That's the beginning point of trust. Communication is always the beginning point of trust, okay? So communicating with God is the beginning point of building your trust relationship with Him. R, remember that God loves you and that God has promises for you. That when I'm talking to God, I'm not just talking to someone in an abstract way. I'm talking to someone that actually really loves me. I'm talking to the one who actually cares about me. I'm talking to the one who has promises for me. And I want to remind you today that Almighty God loves you. Do you understand that God loved you? I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about just the general universe of people. I'm talking about you specifically. You by name that God individually. Put your name right there that God loves me. Say it together with me. God loves me. God really loves me. Well, somebody said, well, pastor, you don't know me. You don't know how bad my me is. You don't know how many things that I've done wrong or the kind of person I am. God says, I love you. I care for you. I loved you so much that I sent my only begotten son into the world. You can't imagine a love that is greater than that, that God would say, I want to bring you to myself so desperately that I'm going to actually let my son go down to earth and die on the cross so that all your sins could be put on him and I will cause him to pay the price and the punishment for every sin you've ever committed so that you can have a relationship with me. Think about that, okay? That's love, okay? And you have to understand that God really does love you, that God cares about you. So when you're going to God, you're not just going and sort of telling God stuff and then there's no response. No, love always motivates action. When you love, there's always action and response. So you go to a God that loves you and has promises for your life and you begin to investigate and learn the promise for your life so that the promise becomes your weapon against worry. See, that's why you need the promises of God. It's the sword of the Spirit against worry, and so it's what you use against worry. And so you talk to God about every concern. You remember that God loves you and that God has promises for you to you. Part of trust is to learn how to unload all your cares and concerns to God. It's one thing to talk to God about your cares. It's another thing to unload them on Him. Psalm chapter 55, verse number 22. Psalmist said, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Go to God and say, God, not only am I going to talk to you about this stuff and remember that you love me and remember that you have promises for me, but God, I'm just going to cast all this stuff over on you. This is way too heavy for me. I can't carry this myself. I can't bear the burden of this. You know that burdens will break you. They'll tear you apart. And God says, 
I want you to cast all those things over on me. The S stands for surrender. Surrender to God's instructions. Surrender to God's plan. Surrender is just letting go as well. It's saying, God, now you're in control. I'm going to let you take control of this. So you can't have two drivers in the same car. And there are a lot of us, when it comes to God, we're trying to fight for the steering wheel. And God says, okay, you want to drive? Do you want me to drive? And so there's a point when you come to the place saying, God, okay, I think I'll let you drive now. I'm going to slip over to the passenger side. and I can't handle this stuff anyway. I can't fix these issues. I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to let you take the steering wheel of my life. I'm going to surrender to you. And then the T, the last T, stands for thank God for his help. In most of our lives, we thank God on the back end of a problem. What I mean by that is when a problem has been solved, we go to God and say, Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Pastor, I got a testimony today. God answered my prayer. It's awesome. I'm so grateful for what God has done. I believe that we all ought to be very engaged and excited about what God does in our life. I'm thankful for testimonies, aren't you? Aren't you glad that God's done some stuff in your life that you can testify about on the back end? Amen? Come on, church. Are you glad about that? Okay. But on the back end, you say, let me tell you what God did for me. And so when you have a prayer answered, tell everybody about it. Let's have a party and celebrate what God has done. That's awesome. That's wonderful. But let me tell you something that perhaps is a bit better than that. It's not just thanking God on the back end of the problem when it's solved, but thanking God on the front end of the problem before it's even solved. That you're saying, God, I know that I can trust in you because I know you've given me promise in your word. And so on the front end of this problem, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to thank you. I'm going to give you appreciation because I know your promise for my life is sure and good. You're a faithful God. You're a trustworthy God. And my confidence now is in you with this situation. So Lord, before I even see anything change, I'm going to thank you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you because in doing that, there is the expression of trust. When you thank God, you're actually expressing faith in God. One of the greatest faith statements you'll ever make is thank you, God, before something happens. Now listen this passage, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 from the Living Bible. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. The Bible says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. What is anything? Anything is anything. Okay. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. That's the talk part. And then it says this, and don't forget to thank Him for his answers. When do you thank him? You thank him when you tell him. That's confidence, right? If I got a real friend and I go to my friend and I tell him a problem, I can also, I, I know they're going to do everything they can do to help me. I can start thanking them before the help is even there because I know their nature, their character. And so don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to Thank Him for His answers. If you do this, the peace of God that passes all understanding will comfort, guard, surround your heart and protect you in Christ Jesus. So the peace is the rest, okay? And the rest is where the energy comes. You only get renewed energy when you rest, amen? You can't get renewed energy if you don't rest. And so it's the rest that produces the energy. Let's look at some final scripture. This helping anybody a little bit? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust. What's the word there? Trust. Trust in the Lord. Well, all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. That is, don't try to figure it out yourself. You can't figure everything out yourself. In all your ways, submit to or surrender to Him, and He will make your path straight. Matthew 6, 
31 through 33. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. This is the New Testament counterpart of Psalm 55, 22. Peter writes these words, Give all your worries and cares to God. One translation says, Cast all your worries. Give all your worries and cares to God. Why? For He cares about you. Put rest in its proper place. It's a priority. God made it a priority. And part, a key part of rest is growing your trust. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing.